what do you say? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's uh, great to have you all here. I hope you're doing well. Um, as usual, you can go and find the latest episodes of this very podcast at johnobacon.com forward slash conversations. And I always love to hear feedback from my listeners. Many of you have suggested some really interesting people to get on. Uh, so conversations at johnobacon.com. And of course, go and check out the brand new book, which just came out recently, called People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams. It's available right now. Go and get to your eyes wrapped around that one. So uh, let's get on to my guest today. I'm really excited to bring on uh, Zachary Abbott, who I'm not, I'm not going to call you Zachary. I'm going to call you Zach. Is that okay? Yeah, no, Zach is, Zach is good for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Only my mom calls me Zachary. Or I was going to say, and I'm not, I'm not going to channel any of that. That's going to get weird (laughs) fairly quickly. Um, So Zach is the founder of Zbiotics. Um, um, and we're going to get into this in a second, but I just want to kind of go through the rap sheet of, of, of your experience. So uh, you studied uh, microbiology and immunology at the University of Michigan, and you studied, uh, you did a bachelor's degree, sorry, you did a PhD in microbiology and immunology, and then you were at UC Berkeley, where you got a degree in molecular and cell biology, um, and classical art and archaeology, which is an interesting <laughs> combination. Um, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do in college. <laughs> Right. Um, and then you went on to be a research associate at UC Davis. You're an intern at uh, Trius uh, Therapeutics. And uh, and then you went on to become a manager around project development at Bayarasi. Is that correct? Is that the correct yeah. pronunciation? Um, where you were... Uh, involved in the the scope of clinical trial design, coordinating preparing, you know, pro- and preparing client-focused proposals, budgets, and all that kind of jazz. And then back in 2016, you started uh, Zbiotics, right? Um, or you did, did you co-found it, or was it because it's you and Stephen, right? Yeah, so it's Stephen and I. Uh, but in 2016, uh, you know, it kind of started as just just me with a science project. All right, um, and then and then Stephen came on a little later. Yeah, right. And then we kind of co-founded the company. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on was because my goal with this podcast is fairly simple. It's just to bring on interesting people who are doing interesting stuff. And I first met you, I think my wife introduced me to you, where, and she'd said, I've met this guy and he's created a hangover cure. So I was instantly interested when you said that. <laughs> um, but then we got on the phone and we talked a little bit about the science behind what you've been doing. And uh, we did a little bit of work together around your crowdfunding campaign. So why don't you first of all tell us what you've produced with Zbiotics? Yeah, uh, Zbiotics essentially is a probiotic that has been specifically engineered to uh, help your body break down one of the toxic byproducts of drinking alcohol that can make you feel terrible the day after drinking, or at least in part. And so, you know, we really just, the idea was you, we made a beverage that you could drink while you're drinking and uh, so that you could, you know, feel better the next day. So what is it when, when someone goes out and, you know, just to use a completely unrelated example, <laughs> drinks an unbelievable amount of gin? For example, right? <laughs> totally hypothetical. <laughs> exactly. So when someone goes out and they, they have a bit too much, um, what happens to the human body? What What is a hangover? Because I think many of us feel it, but we don't really know what it is. Yeah, it, that's actually something that, you know, is one of the, one of the um, pieces of information that we really try and get out there is that there's a lot of misconceptions about 
you know, what you're dealing with when you drink and, you know, what happens to your body and, and those types mm. of things. There's a, one of the really common ones is that like a, a hangover is extreme dehydration. And, right. um, you know, I think that that sounded like a good idea to people because, oh, I noticed that when I drink, I pee a lot. And so it must be dehydration. But I always say like, that's kind of crazy because, you know, you don't uh, get hung over when you work out or something or any other right. kind of activity that dehydrates you, uh, does you know, dehydration doesn't feel like a hangover. Um, so, and, and we actually know, you know, that, um, there's a lot of data that shows that the biochemical markers of dehydration don't correlate with a hangover and then those types of things. So, right. um, first and foremost, a hangover is not dehydration, but yeah, what, what happens when you drink essentially is that it's actually a whole symphony of things and it's different from person to person. Everybody has kind of their own experience uh, right. of the symptoms of a hangover and kind of actually really their own experience of, of the biochemistry that's happening. But right. generally speaking, alcohol gets into your bloodstream and it creates the effects of alcohol. Um, um, but, uh, in part in doing that, uh, one of the interesting, interesting things that happens is that, um, it affects some of the, uh, ways that the you know neurons connect in your brain, and um, right, and that is part of what makes you feel drunk. But it's also um, it really affects sort of the sleep wake cycle while you're sleeping, um, in 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 pretty negative ways. Like, you know, people often think that alcohol helps you sleep, but it actually it'll help you fall asleep, but it really messes up your sleep cycle while you're sleeping. So that's like one of the biggest things you deal with, right, um, right, from drinking. And then another thing, of course, is that. Uh, alcohol and this byproduct um, that I mentioned earlier, uh, this toxic byproduct called acetaldehyde, uh, causes a lot of cel cellular death and DNA damage, which creates a lot of inflammation systemically, which creates a lot of the icky feelings that you get. And and uh, and again, there are sort of effects on the brain that create nausea, and um, there's also gut irritation um, that happens. The alcohol and the acetaldehyde both irritate your gut lining and your microbiome, and they create a lot of uh, gut issues. And so. Right. Uh, generally speaking, there's sort of just the symphony of stuff that you're dealing with. I was going to say, it sounds like, no pun intended, it sounds like a cocktail of conditions. <laughs> it it really is. Uh, and, you know, and each person experiences each symptom at a greater or lesser degree. And so that's why a lot of people sort of describe their hangovers differently and, and describe the things that they find that help them. And, and those right. are half, you know, sort of like hopeful thinking, but half are based in kind of the um, issues that people are dealing with independently. And I'm assuming that different types of alcohol impact people in, in like they have different trigger points on these things. So, for example, with me, um, if I drink red wine all evening, I will not feel good the following day, but I can drink beer and gin and be completely fine. Or, you know, I mean, obviously there's a line. If you have a complete skin full, then you're going to be useless the following day. But what 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 is what's happening there from a from a from a biological perspective, like when yeah. people report these different reactions to these different types of alcohol, what's happening? Yeah, there's a bit of both. Um, there's both, there is a biological, but there's also a psych psychological component to oh. how people respond to alcohols. And I'll start with like the more sort of loosey goosey one, which is this, you know, or at least in our understanding, uh, which is a psychological. Um, so as an example, people say like, oh, tequila shots, man, they make me super hungover. Right. They make me super sick. And it's like, yeah, that's probably because you're out ripping shots at like, you know, 158, <laughs> you know, um, right before you go to bed. And so that's not going to work as well as like, you know, sitting quietly in a, in a bar and having some nice scotch or something, you know? So, um, right. there, there's, there's that element and there are several sort of alcohols that track with, with right. sort of 
beha- social behaviors that that can you know play into that. And so, um, but then there's also biochemical uh, aspects. So you mentioned red wine as an example. So red wine is um, a really kind of complex um, tasting alcohol, and that's due to a lot of the uh, molecules that are kind of byproducts of the fermentation process that create right. the different bouquets and flavors and smells. And, and those are all really great in terms of consumption, but some of them can uh, have adverse sort of biological consequences. So one example is um, red wine has a lot of acetaldehyde, which, as I mentioned before, is a one of the toxic byproducts of alcohol metabolism in your body. Um, it's really mm. bad for you, uh, makes you feel terrible, but it actually has a, a really sweet smell um, and and creates a flavor that it, that is not unpleasing, and so that's and it's a common component of red wine. So while, for instance, beer or gin has almost no acetaldehyde in it, so the only acetaldehyde you're getting exposed to in that situation, if you drink those, is is when alcohol gets broken down into acetaldehyde in your body. But in red wine, the alcohol is getting broken down into acetaldehyde, and you're also oh. drinking a big dose of acetaldehyde in the wine already. So you're getting so, kind of a double dose of the bad stuff in uh, the particularly bad stuff in red wine, right? In some red wines, exactly, right. um, and, and it varies. Every alcohol is different, um, but but that's an example. And so, and, and methanol and methanol-like molecules, they're really toxic in high numbers, but in small numbers, they affect the flavor and they're very nice. But you can deal with them. And so, um, you know, uh, brandies and, and certain dark liquors have more. They're called congeners, um, and right. uh, these congeners can create all kinds of havoc throughout your body. There's these small molecules that contribute to the flavor, but maybe not always to your overall well-being. And what happens, I mean, there's obviously the short-term effects of, of, of a hangover. You know, you wake up, you feel like garbage, and it sounds like you're saying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Zach, but it sounds like yeah. you're saying some of this is going to be somewhat psychological. Like your point about tequila is a good one. Like if you go out and you're going crazy, um, Part of it's probably because you're going to be extremely loose in state of mind and therefore shoving anything down your cake hole uh, <laughs> as the evening goes on. But if you're having a quiet beer with a friend, it might be quite different. But we, you wake up the following day, you experience these negative results, a hangover. What is the longer term piece here? Because we often think about our liver when we think about drinking. Um, does al- I read somewhere that alcohol takes... You know, it can take like a week to break down, depending on how, if you have a certain amount, it takes like a week for that to basically break down and for your liver to kind of reconstitute itself. I get the impression there's probably a lot of mythology around this. What are the actual longer term impacts of what I would refer to as like, I'm not talking about people who are going out and getting sloshed every night. I'm talking about people who maybe go out, have a couple of drinks at the weekend. Probably most people who are listening to this uh, who do drink probably do that. Yeah, I mean... uh you know, in terms of the alcohol taking a long time to break down, that's, I think it's, well, the alcohol itself is broken down, you know, at a pretty reliable rate. And, and, and unless you really did something pretty crazy the night before, it should all be gone by the morning or, or maybe early afternoon at the latest, uh, depending on how much you had. Uh, But maybe what sort of, what that, you know, piece of information was referring to was the idea that it might take a while for your liver um, and your body in general to deal with some of the Sort of cellular damage that 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 alcohol caused. So, um, alcohol and and acetaldehyde in particular, acetaldehyde is actually about fifty times more toxic uh, than alcohol itself. Um, really? Yeah. This stuff is nasty. Uh, although, it's very nasty. Although you're exposed to a lot less of it. Most of the alcohol is is broken down from alcohol, the acetaldehyde, then directly to acetate, um, so, which is essentially vinegar um, right. and innocuous. Um, 
uh, but you know, a small amount of that intermediate can build up and it can create a lot of damage. And so together, these two work um, to create a lot of, of issues that your body then responds to. And your body responds with, uh, you know, basically an immune response. Uh, you get inflammatory uh, molecules called cytokines and uh, uh, they, they're basically dealing with sort of the damage that you cause. And so sometimes that can create um, longer term sort of re re recovery effects. Um, and right. so a particularly big night might have a longer tail uh, on your body actually fully resetting. Um, although in most cases I, I wouldn't expect, although I don't have the data to back this up, I wouldn't expect that to last, like you said, like a week. I think I would expect a, an immunological response to mostly be a day or two at most for, for something like this. It's sort of like an acute damage situation. Right. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, over time, uh, somebody who drinks, you know, once or twice a week, uh, you know, I think that should normally be as long as you're not really overdoing it and binging um, all the time. Um, your body, your body is just naturally going to get worse at dealing with with, you know, damage, basically. And that's what yeah. you're doing. You drink is, is small amounts of damage to your body each time. So, I mean, as with any practice, um, any damage is going to create, uh, you know, new cells that need to regenerate. And every time you do that, you kind of increase your risk of, of something going wrong during that replication process. And, you know, and it slows your body down a little bit more each time. And so, you know, right. it's just kind of slowly chipping away at the mountain a little bit. Um, but right. generally speaking, if, if, you know, as I say, you're not going out uh, and getting crazy all the time. I mean, we don't really see, uh, you know, uh, epidemiologically, um, people who, people who don't binge drink, um, but, you know, uh, just have small amounts of alcohol or responsible amounts of alcohol on a relatively regular basis. Um, typically, the, you know, there's there's basically there's conflicting data on right. um, whether or not like some people say, oh, a glass of red wine every night actually can extend longevity or, um, oh, you know, alcohol in general is always kind of, you know, carcinogenic. And so well, we know that ethanol is carcinogenic. So there's no doubt about that. Um, but, right. um, it, you know, in moderation, it's debatable whether or not, you know, you're really kind of right. affecting your longevity. Right. Interesting and, stuff. And, and I would also throw in there actually, you know, the psychological kind of benefits too as well. You know, that again, in moderation, you know, unwinding and being social and alcohol yep. is often part of that is, is usually, you know, good for you um, in, in that sense, you know, again, right. uh, done responsibly. Yeah. And it's got to be difficult as well, because I imagine that uh, there's, like alcohol doesn't tend to existing in a completely isolated scenario, right? Because people will go out um people who do go out drinking, they'll probably eat unhealthy food. They won't be getting as much exercise. And I imagine it's very difficult to get uh, concrete data on this. So moving on a little bit to, um, to Z-Biotics. So um, we've seen loads of these uh, kind of hangover cures uh, right from the, you know, the rubbish that you get in vending machines in bathrooms to, you know, uh, tales that your grandma used to spin about, <laughs> Okay, you know, baking soda combined with something else through to products like, I mean, uh, there's this product called Blowfish, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is from what I can tell, it's basically aspirin and something that settles your tummy. Um, and it does seem to help if you've got a really bad hangover. How did you approach it with z like with Z-Biotics, when you were in that kind of like chemistry set phase? Right, how did right, you exactly. approach building what you did and, and how does it how, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as we kind of touched on earlier, um, a hangover is such a complex uh, set of set of symptoms. And it is, as I say, somewhat individualistic. And so the idea that we could get a silver bullet, um, I, I quickly came to appreciate would be very difficult. And so you mentioned, for instance, blowfish is actually 
uh, sort of a a treatment after the fact, uh, and it's just a mixture of caffeine and aspirin. Uh, so two things, right? They're treating two symptoms that we know would be a problem, right? You get poor sleep, so the caffeine, and then aspirin because you feel like hell. Um, and so there's yeah. no surprise there that, that that'll make you feel better. Um, but of course, you're sort of treating symptoms. Um, but in looking at what what I could do potentially to to prevent uh, in some way, um, you know, I, I look through all of this sort of as you put it, like the kind of cocktail of symptoms that people were having to deal with and, and the causes and, and those types of things and seeing what it could realistically affect. And and if you look at all the sort of gas station garbage out there, the snake oil, <laughs> yeah, it's either based in complete nonsense. Like, uh, you know, there's all kinds. Of, I found online, like, you know, bull penis soup and all this, like, ridiculous <laughs> things, right? Like, and, sure, whatever. But um, I'll tell you one thing. The last thing I would want to yeah. eat if I was hungover is bull penis soup. <laughs> I honestly think a lot of them started as practical jokes and then they <laughs> stuck. Like, uh, it's pretty crazy. But, Good you know, and grief. then you, you kind of find these things that where somebody looked for, you know, kind of vitamins and plant extracts and tried to sort of tell a story about how, oh, it's dehydration and this has like magnesium in it and magnesium is water soluble. So they, you know, come up with these ridiculous, you know, there was this, for a little while, there was activated charcoal, um, which, Basically, you know, when you get alcohol poisoning, they pump your stomach full of like a, ki- a kilogram or something of, al- of a- ar- uh, activated charcoal. And so somebody's like, oh, well, if I took two very small pills of activated charcoal, this would like filter my blood and ridiculous. Right. But like right. all based in these kind of, you know, thought experiments that were, you know, with activated charcoal, they actually did clinical studies that show that it didn't do anything. And a lot of these sort of vitamins and, and plant extracts don't do anything. And so I thought what if we built something rather than just sort of like walking down the supplement aisle at the grocery store and sweeping everything into a bucket and calling it a hangover care? What if we like, <laughs> right. you know, really looked at, at, at some of the root causes and tried to try to attack one of those. And so that's, yeah. so I started sort of focusing in on acetaldehyde because it's a small molecule that your body already is able to break down. It just doesn't do it in the right place. Um, so the liver is responsible for breaking down acetaldehyde into acetate, as I mentioned earlier. And so I thought if we could break down acetaldehyde, as it forms in the gut, um, we could potentially have an impact. And again, and so I don't describe zebiotics actually as a, as a hangover uh, cure or preventative because a hangover is a lot of stuff, right? But I thought if I could just, I could mitigate something, then uh, you know I might, ha- I might have something that would benefit people in some way. Mm. Um, and so I basically took this bacteria and that we already eat every day, it's called Bacillus subtilis. Um, it's a, it's a, a natural environmental microbe that is on fresh fruits and vegetables. It's in kombucha. Um, they use it in a fermented soybean food called natto um, that's right. popular in, in East Asia. Um, and I took that bacteria um, and then I just engineered it to express an, uh, one more enzyme uh, beyond what it naturally does. And that, that enzyme is very similar to the one your liver uses to break down acetaldehyde. Um, oh, and so the I idea see. is that you take this bacteria before you drink um, and it gets into your gut and it basically breaks down acetaldehyde as it forms in the gut. Um, and the reason that some acetaldehyde forms in your gut is you have, you know, this microbiome, this community of microbes in your gut. And, and when alcohol gets into that community, the microbes want to deal with the ethanol. Um, right. And so they, they break down the ethanol into acetaldehyde, but they don't go further to break the acetaldehyde into acetate as effectively. Whereas oh, your liver both steps very effectively, and so so it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like your 
your good bacteria are like all hands on deck with the ethanol. <laughs> right. Exactly. And ignoring this other stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the, the amount of acid that's produced acetaldehyde that's produced in, uh, the gut is, you know, a very small amount, but you know, the dose makes the poison and, um, that small amount can create a lot of problems and sort of the slow release bomb that kind of that leaks out of your gut or, or, or you know, passively diffuses out of your gut into your bloodstream throughout the night. Um, and so if we could just deal with that little bit, I thought maybe we could have a real impact. And so that, that was the hypothesis. And so we built it and we tested it. And, you know, um, <laughs> my first adventure with Z-Biotics was, uh, was, was aggressive. But, you know, I really needed to prove to myself that, uh, that the product was good and, and, uh, and I was happy with the results. And so we kept moving forward. And, and you know, and we had a lot, of, a lot of really happy people in kind of beta testing. And we thought, OK, I right. think we have something worth, worth bringing to market. This worth interesting. So right. just... Before we go on to the results that you experienced from this, you mentioned about engineering this 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 bacteria. Mm-hmm. How did how does that work? When when I think of engineering, because I come from a, a technology background, from a software background, that's writing code, and uh, I'm pretty sure you didn't write code to make this different. Um, how did this work? Like, can you without dragging us down into your yes, PhD? Totally. How does engineering that work? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's funny. Like, it's both a great analogy and a bad one. Um, engineering right. makes it sound like we went in with like tweezers and like right. you know yeah. picked apart the DNA. Uh, when in reality, we actually just used a three billion year old uh, you know bacterial natural bacterial process, um, and we just directed it um, in a certain direction. I mean, it's it's the Got same it. as kind of plant crossbreeding, but um, with bacteria, which makes it way more precise because bacteria are like three times as old uh, as plants. Um, so they're way better, essentially, <laughs> at exchanging DNA. Um, but in other ways, it's actually a really great analogy. We did kind of go in and change the code. I mean, and we did code, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the, you know, I'm going to display my ignorance for computer coding because I've done almost none of it. But I think this makes sense. Uh, like, you know, it'd be like taking an existing code and really wanting uh, that code to perform one more function. And so you insert one more line kind of into that code or you replace right. a line with something else. So you alter the way that, that that script yeah. works. Um, and that's basically what we did, you know? And so in every other way, the bacteria functions exactly the same. Um, but then we just, we just inserted one thing so that it would do one extra function in addition to all the things it normally does. Right. Um, and it, it really was a matter. I mean, we literally look at, you know, DNA code, which is, you know, just strings of, of A's, T's, G's, and C's, um, put in different combinations to, to, to code for new proteins. Um, and so we inserted a little bit more code. Uh, we actually didn't, we, we swapped out a piece of code for that already existed naturally for a new right. one. Um, and, and, that when was you, when, and when you started that process, you knew what the additional function you wanted to put into that, that bacteria, right? Right. Did right. you know how to do that or? Yes. So you knew that already, and then you just executed that. So you knew you knew what you were doing. Because I imagine that when people are doing this for the first time ever, there's probably just a lot of trial and error in figuring out how do you – because it's basically chemistry, right? And you're basically combining these different natural entities into to generate a new capability. Is that correct? Yeah. And I mean, you know, the technique to get the bacteria to express this enzyme is not new. Um, oh, right. As I say, bacteria have been doing it for like – billions of years um yeah. and humans have been doing it have been or have been directing it in bacteria um, for decades um and so the process is really i mean to 
to just describe it very simply, I mean, it, it's almost, I mean, we, we don't do almost anything. We like bacteria, we basically put in the piece of DNA that we want the bacteria to integrate. Um, and we just put it in a tube with the bacteria. The bacteria then naturally take up that DNA, not have the, all the machinery to swap out their DNA for the new piece of DNA, and then they start expressing it. I mean, they do all the work. That's and crazy. And we just found out that there, if you if you design the piece of DNA you put in a certain way, you can get the bacteria to very precisely edit their own genomes, it, which because they naturally do that. They Bacteria are always sampling their environment, and they're looking for new goodie bags, basically. They grab the right. DNA, and they pull it in, and they try it out, and if they die, well— and that wasn't a good piece of DNA, wow. but their their sister cell that didn't take up the DNA or took up a different piece of DNA might do better. And so that's basically how bacteria evolve. And so we really just harness that uh, you know, in, in, a, in a very directed approach. It's very simple. And like I say, I mean, I think calling it genetic engineering is almost giving us too much credit. Like as <laughs> we're doing, but like in reality, it's just like the bacteria do everything, you know, and, they, and we just figured out how they do it, basically. Right, right. And when you have... Um... Um, let's say when you were going through this process initially and you generated your new, the bacteria, that new capability, right? And you have a little bit of it. Obviously, this is a product that you're making, you're selling. So you need a lot of that bacteria to make your product. Um, how do you make more of it? Is it that it, like, do, does it naturally recreate itself, essentially? That's how it yeah. works, right? Right, exactly, yeah. So we just make, we make a, a, a parent strain and then, it naturally replicates itself. Um, and right. so, you know, so they just get eat. jiggy with it and you have a load of this bacteria. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's that easy. You just basically put them in a big, you know, delicious soup of nutrients and they right. just, they double over and over and over again. And so over the course of basically a day, you can right. get one bacteria up to billions. Um, right. so that's I didn't realize how similar it is in many ways to kombucha and the fact that like kombucha has obviously become really popular in recent years. Uh, like my wife, Erica is a huge, kombucha nerd i guess you could say <laughs> um and um and people seem to be becoming more and more comfortable with the fact that yes there are these good bacteria that you can swallow and it's good for you and there's many health benefits associated with kombucha so it sounds like you've basically made like weaponized kombucha design for people who there's one utilization is people who've been having a little bit too much of the sauce um how did you go about testing that so you know it's one thing to come up with something scientifically, but it's one thing to shove it into someone's body and see how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, like the bridge builder who stands beneath the bridge and they pull the <laughs> scaffolding out, I felt like, you know, I needed to be the first person to try this. Uh, uh, and so the first time, so the first sort of test of the product for me was, you know, I, uh, very scientifically, right? Like, you know, wrote a protocol for uh, right. a hangover, essentially. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> what is the mix of the mix and quantity of alcohols that right. would really punish me? And uh, so I, I, you know, my my wife sort of spotted me and made sure I didn't like, you know, get right. me in trouble or anything. Uh, and then, you know, in my apartment on like a on like a Wednesday night, <laughs> I got really really drunk and uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know uh, all for science. And then. Uh, you know, I took the product before I started and then, uh, or, you know, the prototype and, and, um, and then I woke up the next day and it was my, you know, I, I timed it out. So it was my birthday. Uh, and then I woke up the next day and oh, I wow. thought like, what a great birthday present it would be if I could wake up and see that my, it was and like it a worked. year, yeah, a year of work that it, that it worked. And I didn't think about the, the idea of if it didn't work, that'd be a pretty crappy birthday, but, uh, <laughs> uh for multiple reasons, cause I'd also be pretty hungover. Um, yeah. And so I, I woke up the next day and, um, and, and I had, you know, 
what I would describe as like the first experience of sort of decoupling acetaldehyde from all the other things you deal with when you drink the alcohol, namely the alcohol itself. Right. Um, so I woke up and I was pretty groggy um, because, uh, as I say, alcohol affects the quality of your sleep. And yeah, uh, which is you and, can't really do much about, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the same effects of alcohol creating like the drunkenness and, and the other effects that alcohol has is 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 also what creates the poor sleep. So, right. um, so, you know, I, I did that and, and I woke up and I was, you know, groggy and like, just like a little, like a little bit of a headache. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I, you know, I got up and kind of, you know, shook, shook the dust off and, um, uh, took a shower, had some breakfast and some coffee. And then I was like, I feel amazing. Um, and wow. you know, it was like, it was like 10 in the morning and I was like, this is incredible. So, uh, I, you know, obviously How did one you... test doesn't make a proof, but that was a pretty cool starting spot. That's really interesting. But how did you, because you mentioned this earlier on, Zach, that I think a lot of this with hangovers, uh, from my limited experience of having hangovers, is from <laughs> is from the someone's kind of psychological relationship with it. Like I mm-hmm. personally, when I'm hungover, I have a very stoic view of like, th- you did this to yourself. <laughs> you don't deserve any sympathy from anyone. Right. 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 And I will force myself to go about my day as I normally would. Like I've never once been late for work when I've been hungover. If I've been at a conference and been drinking, for example, you know, I'm not going to be lounging around on the couch moaning about it. And other people will fall into the pit of despair. Totally. So how did you manage the, because I'm sure you're psychologically, you wanted it to work. Totally. Did you just manage to debunk any potential placebo effect based upon like, did you just test a bunch of times? Is that how you did it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always the right, especially with pain. I mean, we're really talking about pain perception here, right? The next day. Right. Um, yeah. And, and especially in America, I know that you're a funny talker, uh, but uh, you know, uh, especially <laughs> in America, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of uh, guilt that goes along with, with drinking. Um, and a lot of people see kind of, yeah, as you described it, kind of the hangover as your comeuppance for, you know, or, you know, kind of paying the price of having a good time. Like, you know, this puritanical belief that we deserve punishment for our, for the fun. Um, and, uh, and a hangover is a mark of sort of irresponsible behavior. And so there, I mean, anxiety is kind of the funny term for it, but like there, there are bio, you know, neurological and biochemical reasons why your anxiety is increased, um, and things like that. And, 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 you know, you described a very healthy practice, which is going about your day. It's actually a really important thing to do in terms of your psychological well-being after drinking. Um, if you sit and wallow in your own misery, it's actually going to compound the results, uh, the effects yeah. a lot worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, it's the idea that I wanted it to work was without a doubt, you know, was without a doubt part of why I, I'm sure I felt better, right? That, that you know, you can't separate those two psychology, the psychology from the biology. Because right. pain perception is very much a psychological thing, in addition to being physical right. or biochemical. And so, um, I although was it could, very, although it could have gone both ways, right? Because I, I imagine that you probably had a certain element of self doubt as well. Of, well, this might just be, you know, oh, just yeah. a no, just took, a, a dream. So it it took uh, it took me honestly about a year and a half before I, that doubt went away. I mean, it took right. a lot I of bet. time. Um, because yeah, I, I, you know, I, I almost couldn't believe that I'd done, I'd done something that was successful. Like I, it took a while for me to accept that. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, there was a lot of self doubt and, and, and you're right. And there's a lot of proof points that I, I followed along the way 
to further convince myself. I certainly didn't, you know, clap my hands together after, you know, that first test. I was like, yeah, <laughs> nailed it, done. Um, you know, it, it took a while. And, and yeah, we, we tried, uh, you know, had a lot of people test it, um, had a lot of people kind of evaluate how they felt. We did some stuff, uh, you know, um, with uh, placebo, me and my co-founder together, we kind of, you know, blinded each other and uh, in terms of like placebo versus the product and, and, and oh, tried out those things. And so, you know, we did a lot of things internally to convince ourselves that this was not garbage or snake oil or placebo. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and and that was really important. We didn't want to bring just another piece of piece of garbage to the market. Um, yeah. So that, you know, and especially because, you know, this is the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic. And so right. if we brought something to market that wasn't any good, we'd really be doing damage to an industry, which I think would be a disaster um, yeah. for, for a lot bigger reasons than just Z-Biotics. So, so that yep. was really important. And I'm, I'm just curious, because you mentioned early on that red wine has a high concentrate uh-huh. of of that negative. Right, you said, it you, you, That's it, yeah. You said so yeah. many terms today that sound like characters from Star Trek that I, I'm <laughs> forgetting them. Uh, but um, did you test it primarily with red wine? Was that a big part of the of the um shall we say the scientific materials uh, to perform the test right right exactly yeah one of the materials <laughs> and methods no it, red wine was uh, i basically in my first test um uh, i won't list how much of each one i drank but uh i will say idea. that you know i had a uh, uh, a dark beer um and a uh, glass of red wine and a shot of fireball um in right. in succession um multiple replicates basically of that uh, kind of cycle. And so that was the idea. It was like a mix. Um, you know, I definitely want to include red wine because of the known acid, the high concentration in that. And, but I wanted right. to try kind of a, a variety of dark kind of congenery, uh, or, you know, alcohols have a lot of congeners in them. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the idea. Uh, I really wanted to, to street test it, right. Like not overly controlled and, you know, what would people really do? And so, yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Did you have the ability to drive through Taco Bell afterwards as well? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> not. not. Although it's funny, like I wrote, I wrote, I was like, like a good scientist, right? I'm like, I was writing the exact times that I finished each drink, and like, good. and then I like drew like arrows into where I ate food, and by the end of the night, like the handwriting's all like terrible and like you know, <laughs> really funny stuff. Well, and the thing is, it's easy for us to be glib about it now, but yeah, I can I, I imagine like back when you were doing this, it's like pretty serious work. You spent a year of your life on this right trying to figure this out and obviously just to reiterate in case anyone is uh under any illusion that we're encouraging excessive drinking we're not um so you know take care of yourselves so what was next then so okay you 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 identified that your um your your magic potion is it works how did you then go from that to um kind of where we are today because i mean the last time i think i checked in with you uh you'd you'd run your crowdfunding campaign and, and that went well. Um, and now there's a product that's available. So walk us through that journey. Yeah. I mean, there, it very naively, I thought that the science was going to be the hardest part. Um, it turns out that that ended up being probably one of the easiest parts. Um, <laughs> uh, Spoken knew? like a scientist. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it, the, for the next, so basically that, that took the first year. Um, right. And uh, we built, you know, built a product. I had something that I was, excited about. Um, and yep. that's when I brought on my co-founder, Steven. Mm. Um, and so that first year was just kind of me in the lab, um, working a lot, uh, trying to stretch out a very small amount of, of money, um, to, to get to the point where I had an MVP. Um, right. by the way, at that point, 
when you were going through, I forgot to ask this earlier on, when you were developing your technology, right. were you planning on this being a business? Were you intentionally like, I want to set up a business to do this particular thing? Or was it more a science experiment that turned into a business? No, it was the, it was a full time. You know, Zbiotics was incorporated day one, um, Got it. Okay. and and, and uh, for the first year. But you know, in looking back, I realized that that first year was really just a science experiment, um, right. and it, w- it was with every intention of building a company um, that specialized in genetically engineered probiotics. But um, right. Uh, it didn't really turn into a business until Stephen came on, um, right. and he he came in and um, as COO and co-founder. Um, hmm. And he, you know, set up all the sort of important things that a business should have, like, you know, effectively paying our taxes, which I wasn't doing because I didn't know. But I mean, I was, you know, trying to. I just wasn't doing it right. Yeah, you had um, other priorities, right? Right, yeah. right, exactly. And, uh, you know, he, he came in and just, you know, really set up everything that made this from a science experiment into a business. And so for the, for, for the next year, it was just the two of us and we were hunting for funding and um, looking to set up supply chain um, and to figure out first the regulatory path that we would follow and then how to follow and then how to fulfill those requirements. And so that ended up taking us two years. Um, and we made a lot of decisions. There were, there were business decisions that I hadn't really considered, like what will be the form factor? Um, what will the Mm. brand look like? You know, who are our customers? I mean, I just thought, you know, make, make a product that helps people, you know, with next day effects of drinking and, uh, you know, and then and then you put it on the shelf, and it sells itself. Yeah, and it turns out that's like, yeah, exactly, yeah, like profit done. Uh, and uh, it turns out that's not at all like how how this works. Um, and so we, we had to do lots of. And, and what's other what's also interesting is that because it is the first ever genetically engineered probiotic, and it's a live um, bacteria that goes into a beverage that has to be shelf stable at room temperature. Um, we actually had to pilot a bunch of other things that had never been done before. Like um, nobody ever bottled a live. GMO probiotic before and, and, and made it shelf stable. And so we had to pilot a bottling process. Yeah. And, uh, we had to pilot our fermentation process and we had a lot of struggles with people being willing to work with the bacteria that, that we are using this, this bacillus subtilis that I mentioned before, it's this amazing bacteria that's everywhere. Um, and it's very robust and it's a really awesome bacteria that you eat every day. But, um, because it's so stable and robust, it's like really hard to clean the equipment um, afterwards. So if anybody wants to make some other probiotic in the same oh. equipment later, there's like it's kind of a headache. And so people are like, ah, I don't want to mess with that. Like it's a pain. And, oh, and so I see. Right. we really struggle to find people who are willing to work with us. And and, um, but, you know, so so the, and also being really small and not really having a lot of, you know, small company, I mean, not really having any connections or anything. We were just cold calling a ton of uh, you know, contract organizations. And, and so there was just a ton of things that we had to figure out. Uh, there were, you know, things that were completely new that we had to pilot for ourselves and, you know, and kind of blaze that trail. I mean, it's also the, from a regulatory perspective, it's the first, um, live, uh, engineered probiotic. And so we had to yeah. kind of figure out what the pathway was for that and, and then execute that. And, uh, how, that does, was how, does, how does that work? So before we get into the launch of it, mm-hmm. like how right. does the regulatory, Piece work is that the FDA that has to go through and and review it? Is that how it works? Yeah. So you know, from the beginning, I designed it um, as uh, I really to you know I don't want to get into too many tangents. We can talk about it um, yeah. if there's time. But uh, I mean, you know, one of the missions of Zbiotics is to uh, elevate the conversation around genetic engineering. Um, I don't right. consider Zbiotics to be a necessarily pro GMO company or anti GMO. Um, it's really about you know r- r- bringing the conversation above 
good or bad to right. like important technology that has you know risks that we need to address. Um, and so it was in terms of elevating the conversation, it was very necessary for us to engage. Or I felt for us to engage um, directly with the public in kind of their everyday lives. And so from the beginning, it was meant always as a product that was going to be sold direct to consumer, um, mm-hmm. which meant that it had to be designed in a way that um, could go to market as as a food product. Um, and mm. so that's what it is. And it's a food product. And that means that it is under the purview of the FDA. Um, that right. being said, um, the FDA basically takes um, um, the approach that um, with food products that you demonstrate that the product is safe um, and then you can bring it to market. And as long as you don't make any health claims, um, you know, it's not a drug. Um, and so we certainly don't make any health claims about the product. Yep. Um, it's never a point of the product, right? So we don't say it like, you know, prevents cancer or liver damage or anything like that. And, and to be very clear, that is like not at all what the product is designed to do. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm just yeah. saying as an example, um, you know, you could make a lot of health claims about alcohol and things like that that we don't do. Um, and right. so as long as you don't do those things, you know, you, you have to, you have, you know, a burden to demonstrate because the product is new um, that it's safe. And so we had to do we did. We spent two years doing safety testing and we really tried to go. Uh, above and beyond do the gold standard of safety testing required for new foods because right. we really wanted to be responsible given the fact that it's it's the first. And do they, I'm presuming that the FDA say these are the procedures that you need to go through to meet the minimum level of that? And it sounds like, Zach, you went above and beyond that to well, reduce any level of ambiguity around the safety of it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the FDA, there there's, a, there's not like a clear... Um, like here are the five things we need. Like, um, they, right. they sort of like there, there are a few different kind of paths forward and there's sort of a gray area into which one you might be in. And so, you know, in some ways with foods, you kind of have to a little bit blaze your own trail. And, and one of the oh, things I, I really that. like, I really like to advocate for is sort of more defined regulation. Um, and, uh, for our product and others as well, that being said, I mean, you know, I don't, it, it's all there there's a there's a level of sort of ambiguity there um and i think that in some ways that's that's designed to make sure that like it's not overly onerous um for for food products that are really presumed to be safe right like so we took a safe bacteria that you already eat every day and we engineered to express an extra enzyme that's already you already also are exposed to every day of your life it's produced in your own body um hmm. and so there's no reasonable expectation it would be unsafe and so you know and but then as you said we really tried to go above and beyond to dispel any kind of possibility that it would that there be an issue. I can see that as well because on the previous episodes of this podcast, I interviewed this guy called um, Ryan Bethencourt. I used to work with him at XPRIZE and he um, has a company called uh, Wild Earth and they right. basically create, uh, it's essentially vegan dog food. Right. Um, he went on Shark Tank and got funded by Mark Cuban, the whole deal. He's a really neat guy. And, and yeah, he was saying- for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. oh, you know him, right? He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so um, and he was saying then that you know there is in a, a similar way you kind of need to blaze your own trail when you're stepping into new areas like this because right. it's just not been done before. So, exactly. um, and but it sounds like I can imagine that from your perspective as a scientist, um, it must be frustrating that you 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 came up with your invention. And then you've started building your business or focusing on the kind of the market side of things that this, I don't think anyone probably enjoys the safety element. It's a necessary evil, right? You've kind of got to go through it. Um, but that must've been hard, laborious work. I'm guessing going through that. Was that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, <clears throat> I would slight, I would say slight exception. I, you know, I thought that like the, the safety work was 
Um, and I know this isn't what you're implying, but like uh, the safety work was really important. And so in in that sense, I really I was really excited to do it. Like, as I say, in trying to elevate the conversation around genetic engineering, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. making a rational argument about the genetics. But then and then and then demonstrating that I felt like those two together, um, mm. it was it was a really valuable thing. It was it was a huge headache in terms of logistics and also on a personal kind of moral standpoint, the current gold standard is is uh, is testing in animals, uh, and so we did a, a rodent uh, test, and I really hated having to do that. Um, it right. felt like a really useless waste of life, um, yeah. and that that was that was hard for me to deal with. And I bet, uh, yeah. And so I really didn't, didn't like having to do that. But and that's not to say it's, that the FDA mandates that. It's just that it's sort of the it's the current gold standard, um, and right. and so I, we felt that. For the first product, you know, we're already fighting enough battles. Let's not fight one more. Um, right. That being said, it's really important uh, for us in the future to develop a pathway that doesn't require animal testing, and I think that we can do it. Um, yeah. And and that's one of our goals. But the, you know, for the for the first part, so that that was a sort of a frustrating part of the process mm. that I really didn't didn't sit well with me. But no, I can imagine day, that. I can't imagine that any any scientist particularly no. wants to do that. Right. Not and at all. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll get to a day soon when we don't have to do any animal testing. So, absolutely. Um, so, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with the crowdfunding because you you did you ran a crowdfunding campaign. Um, what what was the goal of that? Yeah, for us the the goal of the um, crowdfunding campaign more than anything was to learn. Um, we'd spent two at that point two years. Um, in sort of R&D and bringing the product to market and really in the weeds and kind of our own echo chamber, you know, Stephen and I just kind of sitting in a room and, you know, this, this would look good or this sounds good or this is what people want, right? And, you know, we asked our friends and stuff, but um, it, it was an opportunity for us to kind of really go out and sort of street test some of the, the ideas about, you know, the value of the product, the way we explain the product, the branding, the way it looked, the name, um, and see how people responded to those things. Yeah. And so it was incredibly valuable for us to get to do that. We learned so much in that campaign um, from people and, and their responses. And, and I mean, in, in a in a good way, in the in the sense that people really didn't like what <laughs> the way we were trying to sell it. Uh, it wasn't. I mean. <laughs> The campaign was, I think I would describe it as successful in spite of the branding um, right. and not because of it at all. And, and I think that, you know, we exceeded our goal, um, but we didn't do um, we, we saw a lot of resistance um, to the way it looked and the way we explained it and, and all these things. And so we completely changed the brand. Was that the, so unpack that a little bit. Was that the the way you were because it's kind of a tricky product to explain right because sure there's the hangover cure which i know it's more than that and there's like really interesting science behind it uh and before we get wrap up today i want to ask you a little bit about how your science can be applied potentially elsewhere yeah but but there's like yeah there's the hangover piece and then there's the there's the um uh the science behind it and these are two kind of complicated things to come together while avoiding any kind of perception that it's, you know, just some snake oil that's being cooked up in someone's garage, right? So what was the primary feedback that you got? Was it that they wanted a different kind of voice or brand or presentation? Yeah, so what we found was that um, the 
science was absolutely necessary to convince people that it wasn't garbage and snake oil. Like literally everybody I say, oh, you know, it's a product for next day effects of drinking. Like whether they're a good friend, family, somebody I don't know, there's just an eye roll instantly. Like, oh, another piece of garbage. Right. And so you, you have this like, you know, hill you have to climb to convince people that, no, this is a credible product. But that being said, you know, I've gotten better at it through a lot of practice, but you know, as you know, in my scientific education, I communicated with other people who were experts in my narrow field of study, which meant like I learned to communicate to those people. Um, and, and then trying to use that to, to convey the product to another smart person who, but who, who didn't, wasn't an expert in my field was incredibly difficult. And that, Mm. and that was the only tools I had to explain the product. And so that was part of the problem was that I was using this very sort of inaccessible and jargony way to explain the product that went over a lot of people's heads. Um, and for some people that was okay. Like they were like, okay, it sounds like, you know, what you're talking about that convinced me. And for, and, and those are probably the people who, who bought the product. Um, but I don't think it was because I explained it effectively. It was just because they're willing to just trust that I knew what I was talking about, but there's a lot of people that don't feel that way. And so we had, we had to strike a balance. Like on the one hand, if you overly simplify it and it sounds fluffy and like marketing speak, and then people are like, it's garbage. Yeah. Or if you explain it too detailed, then people are like, I don't get it. And they get frustrated and, yeah, and feel like you're sort of talking around it. So we still struggle with this, but we've gotten better uh, and condensing it down to something short. Um, but, but that has been a huge challenge. And I'm not sure, frankly, because you're not the first company that's been through this. No, I'm not sure that anyone gets it right the first time around. Like I think sure. that's one of the, like people often look at crowdfunding as, oh, okay, this is, um, you know, this is a great way of raising money. But I think one of the major benefits of crowdfunding is not the money is one piece of it. It mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. is. It's, it's a marketing piece. And then there is a, an opportunity to engage with an audience early. And it's within the context usually of a, an early innovation which I think is kind of cool than it just appearing on Amazon or on someone's shelves. Right. So I don't know if anyone, frankly, like, do you think you could have got it right the first time no. around? Cause I'm not convinced no anyone chance. could have. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it, it, you can't possibly, I mean, that's what the, that's the greatest part. I mean, yeah, you're right. The money is, is great. And that was part of the point, but I mean, the opportunity to engage people, right? Like a diverse set of people, even if I tap my friends and things, I mean, they still have biases by knowing me and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, it's impossible. And, and, and crowdfunding is so great for that purpose. Right. So, um, so why don't we talk a little bit about the future? Like, well, well, before we get to the future, how's it going? Like, are people buying it? People like, do, do, yeah. do people using it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know. Uh, again, maybe in spite of uh, of our branding, people are people are buying it. It's going great um, so far. Um, we right. launched uh, three and a half months ago, um, and uh, every month's been better than the one before it. And awesome. you know, people are coming back and and buying it again, and they really love it, and just lots of positive feedback, which is a absolute thrill. Right. Uh, I. It's like seeing your vision come to life, and, and you know, even with the crowdfunding campaign, you know, people people put their money down, but they weren't getting the product or, or engaging with it. And so this is the first time that we've seen people buy it, and they come back and they buy again, or they send like a review, and it's really like, oh, this is amazing, and it just, yeah. I mean, it's a thrill. Um, so that's been so fun. Obviously, we have a long way to go, um, right. but it's been that's such awesome. a great start, um, and I, I just never imagined it would be this fun. It's also as just, well as I, being insanely stressful, but also really fun. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was going to touch on is I think like it's just so nerve wracking. Like I went yeah. through, not, obviously not the same, but similar situation recently when I launched my new book, which came out a couple of weeks ago. And you work on it for a long time 
and it's not just in my case, writing the book or in your case, um, right. producing the product. It's, right. it's all the stuff that wraps around it. And, totally. and then you have that moment of like, Oh God, I hope people like it. When it comes <laughs> exactly. You want to do justice to all the hard work you put in. Right. You know? it'd, yeah. be, it'd be really, it'd really feel terrible if after all that, like, you know, three years of hard work that yeah. because you didn't, you know, market it correctly or, or whatever, uh, you know, nobody, nobody discovers it. That'd be too bad. And I also have a lot of sympathy towards the timeline there as well, because again, tying it a little bit to, to, to the book, that process for me was about a year. year well, mm-hmm. a year from signing the contract to getting it out there, because business books have really long timelines. Um, and I found that quite quite, quite difficult, because when I've written books beforehand, it comes out like a couple of months after you submit the manuscript. Yeah, right. And I, so I get the impression that when you have longer timelines, it can increase that feedback loop of self-doubt, Totally. Optimism, self-doubt, optimism. So yes, three years totally. is a long time to go through that process. Uh, I mean, it's such a roller coaster <laughs> and it's exhausting, you know? Um, right. And it was hard to sort of keep, you know, keep energy up and keep belief up, you know, when you're like, it just feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But right. uh, like I say, it's a whole well, new you, set of challenges now that we're out there, but uh, it does feel yeah. good to get kind of that instant feedback. When you were going through that process and you were having that some of that stress, like, did you have a drink after work or were you like, I don't want to touch it? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's more the latter. Um, I, you know, we, between the sort of field testing we were doing, like legitimately to, to kind of convince ourselves of the product and things like that and, and the stress of the, of the business and, and the busyness and, you yeah. know, making sure that I had enough time to spend with my wife and things like that. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's ironic, but my drinking has gone way down since, uh, since oh, I starting. I, I basically almost never drink anymore unless it's an event a, Z- a zebotics event that i have you know that i'm part of or something i mean yeah. it's pretty much i can imagine like you know yeah i can imagine like i'm sick of it I don't... <laughs> yeah so. and, and i don't have the, i don't have the time uh, to even think about it you know so it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah. so um so this sounds like a technology that can be applied in other areas right because I, yeah. I i have a lot of sympathy towards you when you say you kind of don't want it to be just pigeonholed as a hangover cure because it isn't just that. Um, what do you see as the future application for what you've accomplished here and where you, and where you want to move forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, as I as I said, this is the first uh, genetically engineered probiotic, but I have no doubt that it is not the last. Mm. Um, from um, hopefully from us, uh, uh, but right. also. Uh, from I, you know, this is the beginning of a new category. Uh, I'm very confident of that. I think we'll look That's back exciting. in yeah. 20 years and think like it. It was ridiculous that we weren't engineering um, probiotics. Um, right. The idea that I, the the equation the, I equated to, like probiotics as they currently exist, are just bacteria that we pull out of the ground and give to people and hope for some kind of benefit. It's kind of like right. pulling right. a hunk of iron ore out of the ground and giving it to somebody and say, hey, this is a hammer or a screwdriver or a saw. Um, but we can take that iron ore and then refine it into a hammer, um, and oh, say this is for pounding nails, uh, specifically, um, it's not good at screwing screws. It's good at pounding nails and vice versa, you know? And so, and I think that that's really what we're doing, right? Is we're taking probiotics and giving them a very specific function, um, that's identifiable as opposed to just sort of general gut wellness, which, you know, at the end of the day, what does that even mean? Um, right. and, and so, um, there are some, Drug companies that are working on engineered probiotics as we speak um, for different different uh, clinical indications like inflammatory bowel disease and, and things like that. Um, and uh, uh, I believe there will be other consumer companies that um, will make other products. I mean, but at the end of the day, um, to get on my microbiology soapbox just a little bit, I mean, bacteria yeah. do 
everything, every single biological process that exists in nature, a bacteria either already does or could do. Um, and and oh, bacteria are amazing. Um, and so it's such a huge opportunity. And, you know, this, the microbiome, there's as many bacterial cells in your body as human cells. Um, and, and they do so many things. They're, they're really an organ of the body. And that being yeah. said, they're one that's incredibly diverse and constantly changing. And so it's a huge opportunity for us to intervene in human health in different ways. And so um, engineering microbes is such an awesome opportunity. It's, a, you know, it's one that has to be approached um, carefully and thoughtfully, of course. It's not yeah, willy-nilly, yeah. but um, there's a huge opportunity there. And I believe that people will be leveraging it. So um, to give you a little teaser about the kind of stuff we're working on, um, we have three more products or, you know, kind of prototypes um, in the pipeline. And, you know, one is, as an example, is to um, is for for lactose intolerance. Um, oh. So we're building that. Um, and then uh, but we're building microbes, you know, um, that help either um, help you absorb nutrients more effectively or protect you from toxins or dangerous uh, molecules that you naturally encounter in your environment. Um, and so we think of this as a way to either augment functions that your body already has or to bring completely new functions to your body using microbes. Um, and so it's a really huge opportunity. And I think there's a lot of, you know, it's that's awesome. sky's the limit here. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. It's almost like, yeah, there's a, uh, an industrial revolution happening with probiotics. Um, I love your, your analogy to pulling the iron ore out of the ground. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what happened. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's going to be really interesting watching what you're doing and as you progress with this. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? Um, you know, zbiotics.com uh, is the best place. We've put a ton of information, maybe too much uh, information <laughs> on, on our website. Um, the, everything is there. And, you know, we also have some social media um, yep. places where we kind of highlight some of that stuff. But um, zbiotics or zbiotics company. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, the website's the best place to find everything. And that's also where you can get the, get the product, uh, if you, if you wanted it, uh, yeah. or try it out for yourself, do your own science experiment. So do your own science experiment, be, be responsible folks. Don't be right. silly about these things. Absolutely. Well, this is not, not a get out of jail free card. This is about, uh, right. you know, having another tool in your toolbox for responsible social drinking. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for coming on and thank you folks for having another listen to conversations with bacon. We will see you very soon. 